0: Okay, everyone. Sorry for all the online watchers. I should probably say this every ten minutes, so that you don't get upset, and and uh, um, so that you don't get upset about not having any visual today. The camera, our camera that we used went kaput. And we need a new camera. Hashem will help that we'll get a, even a better camera. I Hashem very soon. But Meanwhile, the camera is not in operation. So all we have is audio. Unless you want to come here to 140 North La Brea. And uh, you can actually take, participate in the physical, physically in the she'er, And then you can have the sights and sounds. But like this. It's only the audio, okay? So please, if anybody during the, during the course of this year is gonna start writing comments on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever it is, hey, there's no sound, there's no, the camera's not working, the camera's not working. So anybody that heard this at the beginning, please answer them that that has been discussed at the beginning of the class. Thank you. Okay, after that has been said, we're ready to begin. So we're in Chodesh Nisan, We're in the month of Redemption. It's a really, really, really exciting time, and let's find the Redemption in the Parsha, as we've always talking about uh, the excitement of where we're standing right now. So now, in this week's Parsha is Parshas Metzora. This week Shabbos is going to be Shabbos Hagadol. Parshas Metzora. And um, it's an interesting parsha because it has a really not such good name. Metzora is a a condition that's very very unfavorable, very negative. A metzora is the worst kind of has, carries the worst kind of a defilement, tuma, tuma impurity. The metzora, loosely translated many times as the leper, but that's not really what it is. It's a spiritual kind of a disease that would show up on a person's skin as a white blotch or similar colors like that. And um, when someone had that, they were deemed as ritually impure and defiled on the worst level, as we're soon gonna see. And therefore, it's pretty interesting that we, who generally try to always look at for the positive things, would name a Parsha in the Torah Mitzorah. Now we have no choice really in the sense that the subject is Mitzorah, but you still don't have to name it that way. We find that the Torah always looks to be gentle and we try to always... We don't want to speak neg- negative. Speech is very powerful. That's actually the lesson of Parsha's Tazriya Mitzorah, last week's Parsha and this week's Parsha. The tzaras would come because of sin. This, this, this illness would come as a result of sin primarily the sin of speech when we are speaking lush and we're speaking negatively about others that's what brings upon a person that's harassed. Um so therefore we the lesson obviously is to be careful with speech we shouldn't speak negatively about anything and the, and, and in that sense why would the torah have a name of a parsha called mitzorah which is very very clearly negative speech the, to make the to make it to make the question stronger, even though the, the, this Torah portion has been there since the Torah has been given, we've had, you know, had the, the 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 parsha, but yet the name of the parsha was different in the early years. If you look in the early writings and responsa and writings uh, of the sages of earlier earlier generations about a thousand years ago. We look at Rashi, and I think in Rambam as well, and in other, Rabinu Sadio and I think, and, and there's a couple of different places, and where you look at, where they name the names of the Parsha, all the, whatever, 53 Torah portions that there are, they refer to this parsha as Zostia, this shall be, referring to the the second verse in the parasha, Vaidaber Hashem al Moshe Lamer, Hashem speaks to Moshe. Obviously, you can't name the parasha, Vaidaber Hashem al Moshe because probably uh, 40 parashios begin with Vaidaber Hashem al Moshe Lamer, or 20, 30, whatever, and a lot of parashios in the Torah. Um, that you can't, but what have they chosen? The next verse, Zeus toiras Torah sa Metzorah. This shall be the laws, the teachings of the Metzorah. So even though the name Mitzorah is more fitting to characterize the Parsha than the words Zos Tia, which means so shall be. We have no clue about so shall be who, what, where and when. Yet, in the early writings of the early teachers of the Torah, when I say early, we mean for the first two, two and a half thousand years that we had the Torah, whenever we made reference to this parsha probably most probably because of the desire to steer clear from negative speech the name of the parsha was always referred to as zois tia so shall be it's only in later in the last few generations in the last couple of 100 years that we see a change in Shulchan Aruch already, or I think even in the Torah, Torah is before the Shulchan Aruch, probably with about 200 years. So we're talking about, from about five, 600 years ago, we see a change. In the Shulchan Aruch, this parsha is referred to as parsha's mitzvah. So everything in Torah is accurate, and everything in Torah is perfect. This that the later generations changed the name of the Parsha. Now, obviously, you see that they're making a decision to change the name of the Parsha. They're not just going with the flow, they're not going with the flow, and just it's not like they have to invent to, to, to um they were the ones who created the names of the, if you say like 600 years ago they sat down, they said we have to name the parashiyos, no ok, it would be one thing but it's not that way, they had already all the names written earlier and here you see they intentionally changed it from the word T S so shall be to the word mitzvah which is as we said earlier, a change to the to the negative it's a negative change Changing to negativity. In the very Parsha, when we're being so careful with our speech not to be negative. So it really, really begs the question. How did it happen that in the later generations, so is the name of the Parsha? So we have to say that the matzora isn't negative anymore. And the reason the earlier generations, they steered away from calling the Mitzvah, Mitzvah, is because way back then the mitzvah was indeed negative. And um, we'll soon see. And therefore they had no choice but to not call him by its name or the name of the parsha, the name of the Torah by that way, but say, so shall be. But it's only in the later generations that for whatever reason, we're already comfortable with the name mitzvah. So we have to say because... The Mitzorah is positive and isn't negative. Because if it would still be negative, we wouldn't be mentioning its name. So that is an astounding phenomenon. That's an amazing idea. Let's understand, how does that work? How does the Mitzorah change? Similar to what we had discussed in Parsha Shemini in the class, we said that the pig will change. The pig was always really bad and the pig will become kosher. And here we're talking about the Mitzorah changing from being really bad, the worst kind of defilement, to being tohar, to being no, to being not negative, as we name a parsha the Torah mitzorah. So, in order to understand that, let's take a deeper look at what the Torah says over here in the opening verse regarding the the healing of the mitzorah. Now, by the way, this parsha is not about the negative state of the mitzorah about his defilement and all that. That's discussed in last week's Torah portion Tazriah. In this week's Torah portion, the Torah is talking about the healing process of the metzora, when the Mitsora is already his tsaras went away and what he needs to do in order to complete his purification so there's a whole ritual that is performed over here the kohen has to come out to visit him inspect him, see that it is okay and after that the kohen does a process with him you have to take two little birds two pigeons and they slaughter one of them and then you dip the other one, and you pour the blood over fresh spring water. Good, fresh spring water. And you take the slaughtered, the, 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 the living bird, and they also have to take a branch from a tall tree, a cedar tree, and then a little grass, a hyssop grass, with a little red um, string of crimson wool and then you tie them together and then you take the bird and that little bundle and you dip it seven times into the blood and the water and it gets sprinkled, I think it gets sprinkled first towards, let me see, might even be sprinkled, no, it just gets sprinkled on the mitzvah seven times and then that begins the process. Okay, we're not going to get into that whole ritual and what it means, obviously this the infinite secrets of the Torah to to, to to explore that mysterious process of these two birds and this whole thing. Um, what I would like to ask is, right at the beginning of the parasha, it says, so shall be the Torah of the Mitzvah on the day of his purification. It says, "Vehuva el ha-kohen, he should be brought to the Kohen. And this immediately is problematic because it says he should be brought to the Kohen. But that's not the case. He cannot come to the Kohen. He's not allowed to come to the Kohen. Because the Kohen lives inside the city. The Kohen lives inside Jerusalem. The Kohen is living, wherever it is, inside the machane, inside the camp. Part of the consequences of the Tzorah, of the Mitzorah, is that the person is so defiled that he's not allowed to be within the camp, within the zone of holiness. As we're soon going to see, there's various different zones of holiness. There's zone A, extreme holiness, zone B, holy, but a little less, and then zone C, which is also holy. It's the lowest level of holiness. The metzora is now allowed to step into even into zone C. He has to be outside of the camp. Until after his purification process, which is going to take seven days, after the Kohen deems him kosher and purifies him with that process. So it's impossible for the Mitzorah to come to the Kohen. So the question then is, why does it say, lako? And he should come to the Kohen, he should be brought to the Kohen, he can't come to the Kohen. As a matter of fact, the next pusuk says, V'yotza HaKohen el that the Kohen has to go out to inspect the Mitzorah outside of the camp. So it's clearly, and that's understood, yeah, the Kohen, the healer, the man, the man of God, he needs to go outside to heal the Tzara's. The, the, uh, the so he has to go out of the camp to see him, because otherwise other way it's not possible. So then why does the Pasuk make an introduction that he should be brought to the Kohen? The Mepharshim all ask that question. The Sephurnu, the Ramban, the Rachaim, the Kliyokar, they all ask that question. The Cheskuni, so the Cheskuni and the Saffronug try to give like a very like logical question. I mean, a, a simple answer. And they say that it's not nice, you know, if the Mitzvah is wandering, he's not allowed to be in the camp and he goes all far away, it's not nice to make the Kohen travel all the way to the Mitzvah. It's, it's, it's bad enough that the Kohen has to schlep outside of the camps of holiness to go see him. So that we have no choice. Because he can't bring him to the Machaneh, the Kohen has to go inspect. Therefore, only as menschlichkeit, as decency, you tell the Mitzorah, go as close to the camp as you can. That's the meaning of v'huva el kohen. We bring the Mitzorah from wherever he is staying. He should come to the border, really to the fence, to the, to, the, to, the, to the walls of the city. And then the Kohen will come just outside the wall and to inspect him. So like this... We're not, uh, we're not bothering the kohen too much, okay. That's a kind of a technical type of an answer. The problem is that it's hard to say that that's why the pasuk says la kohen should be brought to the kohen, because who says the mitzvah is living far? Why? Why does he have? There's no reason for the mitzvah to go live five miles away from the border. He 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 technically can station himself, pitch his tent right outside the. Uh, the, the, the borders of the wall I mean, even though a lot, it would make sense that probably a lot of times they lived in various different places but still the Torah is dealing with the all the Mitzorahim and since not all of them are going far away so why would the Torah have to say that it's hard to explain that that would be the reason for it why the Torah would say because what happens if the Mitzorah is living 10 feet away or stations himself 10 feet away so let's look for a better answer. That's what I'm saying. It's a good answer, but not, you know. Let's let's go a little deeper. See if we can find something more significant. The other thing to notice and to um, which is interesting, it says v'huva el He should be brought to the Kohen, which implies almost like they're dragging him to the Kohen. Vahuva, they bring him. Why doesn't it say uva el He should come to the Kohen he comes to the kohen. Again, we don't understand why it has to say that he comes. It's not even him coming, the kohen is going to see him. But why? I mean, the kohen is coming to heal him. This guy, poor guy, has been excommunicated. He's living out there. He lives in isolation. He is sequestered. He's, he's alone. He's cut off from society. As we're soon going to see. Now he sees that he's being healed. So he's probably so excited and so happy that his taras went away. He's running as fast as his feet can carry him with excitement to come see the Kohen. But the Pasuk implies, he should be brought, which seems to say, even against his will. Al-Karucho against his will. So this needs to be understood. Why does it do that? Why does it say so? So the Kliyakar asks this question, and the Kliyakar says that, you know, if this guy would have been hanging around the Kohen, the Kohen is the Tzadik, if he would have submitted himself to the tzaddik from the very beginning, before he got into trouble in the first place, and the tzaddik would have taught him the ways of peace, the ways of kindness, the ways of avas yisrael, of loving fellow Jews, he would have never messed up with this lush and horror business, so he would have never ended up outside of the camp, and things would have been good. But because this guy didn't do that, Hashem had to inflict him with Saras and the Saras taught him a lesson, so now, the tsaras is what's forcing him to change his ways. So even though technically right now, Vahuva kohen he's uba'a he's running, racing to the kohen with excitement because he's telling him for the first day, I woke up in the morning and there's no tsaras, I think I'm healed. Yes. But the very fact that he's seeking out the kohen only after the tsaras, is that the tsaras compelled him to come to the kohen, which means to seek a spiritual teacher, to seek guidance, to look for a mentor in life that's going to guide you and elevate you he should have done it on his own so that's the meaning, v'huva'ala koin, he's brought to the coin. okay, it's a good answer but again, let's try to probe this a little deeper see if we can see something more uh, on a deeper level what, 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 what is happening over here and the idea is as follows um, when we look at the Mitzorah the thing about the Tsaras, the Mitzorah is, as I mentioned earlier that the mitzvah is considered the worst type of defilement. In what sense is the worst type of defilement? is that it has to go out of all three zones of holiness. I mentioned earlier that there are different zones, gradations of holiness. There is super holy, there is very holy, and there is holy. And the mitzvah is not allowed to stay in any of them. Now, the other people that are defiled, in the end of the parsha this week, we learn about other people that have tumah, a zav, a zava, someone who touches, contaminates, comes into contamination with a dead body. It's not discussed in this week's parsha. These are various forms of impurity that a person has. They too have to stay away from holy. But none of them have to go out of all three camps. If someone comes into contamination with a dead body, he's only now allowed to go into zone A, which means the actual, the holy temple. But he's allowed to be on the Harabayas. He's allowed to be on the temple mount. What's called Machna Leviya, the camp of the Levites. If someone has a Zav or a Zava, which is related to certain impurities relating to the body, then they have to go out of two camps they're now allowed to be in the super holy they're now allowed to be in the very holy zone a and zone b are off limits but zone z i mean zone c translated as at least in in, in Yerushalayim, as jerusalem they're allowed to be they're allowed to be in the old city of jerusalem in the actual walled area of jerusalem they're allowed to be there because their holiness they're not so defiled that they get they get um evicted even from there the Metzora is so his, his defilement is so strong, he's the only one that gets evicted from all three camps and we need to understand why is that well when we take a look and we examine what brought Saras in the first place so as I mentioned earlier according to the um, teachings of our sages the main reason for Tsaraz comes for Lash and Hara. So Rashi says actually, why does he go out of the camp? Rashi says, because he caused breakages in people's relationships, because he 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 was a danger to society. He caused fights, he caused animosity. Because when someone goes ahead and bad mouths people, what are you doing? you're causing good friends to become separated you're causing relationships to be broken you call, call, God forbid, the person is causing families It's causing, God forbid, um, um, fights and and, and strife amongst friends, amongst family members can cause a tremendous, God forbid, break and machlokas in the community every machlokas, every type of fight it all begins with Lashon Hara. It all begins with negative talk. So Rashi says, he separated between people. He distanced the heart of people one from each other. So therefore, let him sit alone in isolation, separated from people. So Rashi very, very clearly defines what the malady of the mitzora is. He's a man that causes strife. He's a man that causes discord animosity, hatred we'll call machlokas because of that he is the total antithesis to holiness the very very staple of holiness the, the, the fingerprints of holiness is unity unity is the cat. what characterizes Kedusha holiness because holiness is characterized by the essence of holiness is God and God is one and therefore, the community of holiness, being that they're all attached to one singular source, are also attached to each other. That's why we, the Jewish people, who are a holy nation, what does a holy nation mean? We are attached to Hashem, we are attached to the Eberster, we are called, Goy echad. we are a nation that are one. We care about each other, we love each other, we hang out together. Because we feel attached to each other because we all share that common singular essence, and that is our subservience to Hashem, and therefore we are all unified with God's oneness. The antithesis to holiness is a force that breaks up what's called pirut, separation. Um, And who is. and, 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 and that's the way klipa is klipa is all about the unholy is all about being scattered separated disconnected and in the unholy there isn't any true achdos there isn't any true unity there's only superficial unity it's when people have the same self-interests so that they can unify for a short little while but since ultimately it's all selfish at its core it's going to break it's going to disintegrate but in holiness, which is a subservience and a commitment and a connection to something bigger than you, and that is the Abishter, that is God, and that's why in holiness there is an intrinsic unity. That's why in Hasidus we mentioned that in different classes, the force that is considered the most opposing to Hashem is a nation called Midian. Midian is the klipa, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the power, it's the unholy power of strife. Midyan means quarrel. The very definition of the word Midyah means a fight, quarreling. So the nation of Midyon they represented quarreling. That's why the Abishter says, the koyim nikmas, go take revenge of Midjun, because they stand opposite of Yutke Vavke they stand opposite of Hashem Achod. Mitsuira, he's related to Midjun. That that's his business. He walks around, he or she walks around from place to place and delivering various different information that's going to cause a medan, it's going to cause a breakup, it's going to cause a difficulty in the relationship, it's going to make it harder for the people to love each other and connect to each other, be one with each other. Therefore, we can understand how the Mitzorah is so opposite and so antithetical to everything holy, for that reason, he or she cannot even walk into the Zone that has the most minimal holiness, that area cannot tolerate this person. And therefore it spits him out. So the Mitzorah has to be outside of the camp. To take that a step further, not only is he distanced the Mitzorah from the three levels of holiness, that holiness can't tolerate him, even the unholy is uncomfortable with the matzora. That's how... Malicious that, that, that Lashon Hara is. Where do you find that? You see, when the Mitzvah is outside of the camp, he has to sit in isolation. And the law is, he's not allowed, he has to be sequestered. No one is allowed to hang out with him, him or her. Who's not allowed to hang? So Rashi says, even other impure, defiled people can't, can't room and dorm with this person. So let's say you have a Zav, who doesn't have to go out of all three machinites, but for whatever reason is looking for an apartment outside of whatever. So he goes and he wants to meet up with the, with the, with the Mitzorah. No, he can't be together with him. So even the Zav, all and there are three types of Tumah that are mentioned. And all three of them, which are three levels of impurity, the Mitzorah has to be isolated from all of them. So we're talking about an entity a being that is considered so so opposite of holiness to the extreme of the extremes. Basically, stands against God. That's that. That's what the mitzvah is. Now, why if he spoke lashon hara? Why is he considered to be against God? So we take a look at Rambam. The Rambam and the laws of Tzaras, The Rambam spells it out because Rambam says even though he all he's doing all, all he or she is doing is just breaking up relationships, but eventually a person that does that is going to end up to. Um, work against Hashem Himself. The Rambam says, tipshim, uh, wicked people that are tipshim, They're fools. They, they speak big things. Okay, hold on. These are the name, the, the scoffers. First, they speak stupidity, foolishness. Then they make fun of the righteous." And then he brings verses for that. Then they speak against the prophets and to question the words of, of godly people of the prophets. And then finally, they come to speak against God Himself. And then they deny they deny the very existence of God they're prone to fall into atheism and complete rejection of Hashem from what? from speaking Russian heart. how exactly you make the connection what exactly is the psychological uh, downfall over here I can't explain it to you but that's what the Ramam says so now we can understand why this person is considered to be totally 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 against holiness the furthest furthest extreme however there is one thing working for the Mitzorah what is working for the Mitsorah that we can never take away from him? What's working for the metzora is the metzora is a Jew, and since he's a Jew, he or she has hope. The metzora is never, never hopeless. Why? Because there is no such a thing as a as a Jew that's doomed forever. The pasuk promises us, "Kilo mi mi nidach." It will never be cast away. Someone forever to be cast away forever, and therefore it says, "Rishul in the, in the Shulchan Aruch of the Tanya, Shulchan Aruch Harav, and Talmud Torah, the laws of Torah study, over there the, the Alter Eber, of the Zalman of Liadi, questions. We know that a person who's learning Shalom Lishma, especially someone who's learning for the wrong purposes, to, to show others to be a show-off, or the like, or to get or to the point, to prove others that he's smarter than them. That's the worst way of learning. And when you're learning Torah like that, the Torah is actually producing it's having a negative effect on the world. It's not producing holiness. It's producing klipa. It's festering full of forces of impurity. They're deriving energy from the Torah that this person is learning. So the Alter Rebbe asks the question, should that person continue learning? Or should we make sure that the person we should take all of his books and hide them, take them away from them? So the Alter Rebbe says, for sure not. You let him learn and let him continue doing Torah and let him continue doing mitzvahs. Why? Because every mitzvah you do, deep inside the mitzvah, there is, there is a godly flow. It's only covered up with a bunch of unholiness. But the altar, and then in the end, every single neshama is going to do tshuva. We have a promise from God that there will never be a spark of Hashem that's going to be completely severed and disconnected. So whether in this Gilgal, meaning in this incarnation, or whether in a future incarnation, which, by the way, today's days is already—we're done with the incarnations. We're already in the last. We're already in the last recycle. So no one is coming back again. So the, the tshuva that has to happen is now the tshuva. The last. The last generation. Everybody's to come back. So therefore, he says, so let him at least do mitzvahs because eventually he'll reclaim all those mitzvahs when he does tshuva. He will. He or she will bust. Will crack. Will break. Will will, all the klipa will disintegrate, and the holy essence of those mitzvahs will, will will reveal itself, and this person will have increased godliness in this world. When they do tshuva, they will transform what we call the darkness to light. So we have a promise that every single person will do tshuva, including who, even someone as terrible and as opposite as holiness, antithetical to holiness, like the Mitzvah. Why? How do we know they will make that choice? Because God will never let a soul be completely severed. That's the rule. Now it's interesting, the Alter Rebbe says this about about an individual Jew. This past Thursday night, we were learning about this, and this, this past Thursday night, we learned a phenomenal discourse um, uh, about Rosh Chadashim. you can listen to it, it's on our it's not on the website yet, I have to put it on the website it's on YouTube, where Hashem, I'm going to post it online again, I'm, uh, we already didn't have the camera wasn't working, so we don't have a visual on it, but we do have the audio and in that class, we learned the discourse from the Lubavitcher Rebbe awesome, incredible and over there he talks about this that the Rambam says that, yidna, that the Torah promises that in the end, Yidna gonna do tshuva b'sayf kulusa. That the Jewish people are all going to do tshuva. And in that discourse, the Rebbe explains an amazing thing. He says that tshuva that we're going to do is not because coming from within our own decision. It's not coming from within us. The reason we're doing tshuva, we are the ones doing tshuva, but why are we doing tshuva? Because of a divine promise. Because God promised. It's a promise of the Torah. And that promise of the Torah is going to assure that all the Jewish people are coming back. And it doesn't make a difference how far they are. How anti-Jewish they are, or how self-hating Jewish they might be. Self-hating Jews, which we're seeing sadly. Yet there is no such a thing as a Jew not coming back. Either right before Mashiach comes, or with the coming of Mashiach. All Jews are doing too. No, As we said, no Jew will be left behind. A few weeks ago we gave one of the Mashiach coded classes. I told the story. One of the great students of the Balsham Tov, And I didn't verify it since then. But as I mentioned then, I think it was Reb Zusha of Anapoli. And he was, once came to a town. And he was told, and the community came to him, and they asked him to curse a certain Jew. Usually you come to a tzaddik for a blessing. This time they came for a curse because this dru was such a troublemaker. Talk about a metzora, a guy who's been causing so much problems. And I could imagine it was related to the fact that he was snitching on his brethren and getting them in trouble with the uh, Russian, with the government and so on and so forth, causing a lot of them lots and lots of problems, making libels and all kinds of things. And the Jews just couldn't handle it. So they do it. Tzadik has a power to bless. And uh, since he has a power to bless, he can he has a power, He's a holy mouth, he can decree the opposite as well. So they came to this great saintly Sadikra, I think it was Rabzusha mentioned, asking him to deliver a curse. So Rabzusha said to them as follows. He says, you know, very soon Mashiach is going to come. When Mashiach is going to come, it's going to be so amazing. And suddenly the honor of the Jewish people is going to rise in the world spectacularly. And the nations in the world will stand in awe in front of that Unbelievable transformation, and and obviously in that under that of those circumstances, they're all going to want to you know get close, come to Mashiach, because they obviously he's governing and ruling the whole world now, and uh, they want to develop a rapport, they want to get connected to Mashiach, and so on and so forth. But they have a lot to answer for, the nations that have. Persecuted the Jewish people have a lot to answer for. So, you know, obviously in order to at least, you know, get, get you know start to amend things, they're going to want to bring them a gift. They're going to want to bring a present to Moshiach. But they are, even the nations are going to understand that Moshiach is not someone that you're going to bribe with money. Because Moshiach doesn't need their money. So they're going to think, what can they bring Moshiach? And they realize that there's one thing about Moshiach, is that he loves Jews. Very, very much. He's the biggest lover of Israel. The greatest Ohev Yisrael. And therefore they're thinking to themselves, let's bring Moshiach a Jew. But which Jew can they bring to Moshiach if Moshiach is already going to be this incredible, powerful magnet that's going to draw all the Jewish people. its Nitche Yisrael. He's going to gather all the Jewish people who are going to come... And 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 go back to Eretz Yisrael and be connected to Mashiach Tziddi. So who are these nations going to bring? So they're going to start looking for those lost Jews, the Jews that have become so assimilated and have become so deeply entrenched in the in the in the Gentile world, in the non. And have so alienated themselves. Yes. To the point that even after the news is going to be saying about what's going on and that Moshiach is revealed. And Jerusalem is, became the, the capital of the whole, all of humanity. And the Beis Amigdash Hashlishi is standing with all of its glory and all of its radiant light. Yet these Jews have already so trained themselves to be opposite and against, and against everything holy that even that won't move them to come. When the nations will find out, when these people will find out that this person is Jewish, they will come and grab that Jew, force him onto a wagon, force him in this dance onto a plane, and pull this, and bring this Yid in front of Moshiach and deliver this Jew. And that bribery is going to work. That's one thing that's going to work with Moshiach. Moshiach is going to be so satisfied and so elated and so delighted with the return of these Yidin, that are going to come back to Mashiach. So this great Tzaddik, Reb said, the Jew, this very Jew in your town, that is going to be the present, that the Gentiles are going to bring to Mashiach, that's going to bring such simcha to Mashiach, and you want me to curse Mashiach's present? That's the story. So there are Jews, sadly, who are going to have to come back only kicking and screaming. But even those Jews are going to come back. And Mashiach is going to welcome them. And that's the meaning of the parash over here. When we're talking about the mitzvah, we're talking about the Jew who has alienated himself and therefore is standing outside of all the camps, separated, severed, disconnected from Judaism completely. So what does the Pasuk say? Vuhuvah elakohin, he will be brought. Now, let me change it a little bit. The meaning over here, as we are understanding, it doesn't necessarily mean, we're not talking about that, that, that farthest Jew that actually the nations themselves are going to bring him to Moshiach, But we're talking about Jews. That what? That their return to tshuva is not coming out of their own decision-making, out of their own volition. Uh, their own, from, 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 from their self-inspired uh, in, tshuva. It's not going to be coming from them. It's going to be coming from the powerful, spiritual Shaifa shal-mashiach. The power, which now, by the way, Shaifa shal-mashiach doesn't mean necessarily only a sound that we will hear when mashiach will come. Shaifa of mashiach is already blowing the last 30, 40, 50 years. Bringing Jews back, pulling Jews back to do tshuva, to return. It's part of what the Rammam says, (laughs) If The Torah promises that Jews are going to do tshuva in the end of their exile, (laughs) and instantly they're going to be redeemed. That tshuva is imposed upon them. Because from within their psyche, from within their space, from within their decision-making space, if we can call it, they would not make this decision to return to God and to do Jew. V'huva el they're being pulled by powerful forces, powerful winds that are blowing them towards Moshiach Tzadken. And that's what the Pesach is speaking about, of this mitzora. V'huva el he gets brought to the Kohen. However, being that Moshiach loves Jews, More than anybody, anybody can even fathom. Moshiach is not happy that these Jews come to Moshiach only as a result of him pulling them with his powerful, magnetic, spiritual, godly pull. Moshiach is not happy with that. Moshiach wants them. Maybe they need that as an initial jolt. But Moshiach really, really, really wants that these people should return to holiness and to Torah and mitzvahs and so on and so forth out of their own volition. Because they realize that this is the true path in life. And that Torah is good and mitzvahs are good and holiness is good. And that's truly what they've been craving for all their life. It's just been misinterpreted and misguided. And therefore Mashiach is not going to be satisfied with that first infusion with that powerful, with that powerful, as we said before, that will grab them. But what does the Pesach say? The Kohen, and the Kohen represents the forces of holiness that are bringing healing to the world, operate on two ways. First they operate in a manner is that they pull, as they create that powerful suction to bring Jews in. But then they don't but then the coin goes out El machda. means the coin is descending to the place to that space we're that person who's not interested in Judaism is not interested in godliness is not interested in this, in identifying even as a as part of the Jewish people whatever the person supports BDS he's fighting for the for the Palestinian uh, cause he whatever everything anything with Judaism is alien far not interested at all, and yet the yotzah koyin the koyin goes out to that person to their place to help them recognize from within themselves that their non-Jewishness is just a klipa it's not who they really are and that their true desire on their own. Is to be connected to Am Yisrael, to the Jewish people. So there are those, you know, you always hear there are these um, very, very smart rabbis who learned a lot of Torah. They learned so much Torah and they know so much, and therefore they tell the Jewish people how four-fifths of the Jewish people are going to be cut off, and God forbid, they have no relationship, and the non-religious Jews and their erev rav and their who knows what. You hear this talk all the time on YouTube and listen to rabbis they will tell you all the doomsday things about all the Jewish people and it's very very sad the problem with all these rabbis is one thing they didn't learn Hasidus they didn't tune in yet to the Baal they definitely didn't tune in to the leader of the generation the Lubavitcher Rebbe who changed the dynamics of everything he revealed that a Jew is a Jew is a Jew is a Jew And no matter how far the Jew is, because he has a deep, deep, deep diamond, and the greater the diamond, the more it's concealed. That's just the way it is. These Jews have the greatest light. It's not their fault that they're so covered in klippa. So we have to have tremendous compassion and love. And the more the person is kicking and screaming and does not want to hear what you're saying, the more the greater the diamond of that Jew is. And the Mashiach is craving the souls of these Jews. And therefore, yes, all Jews are going to be redeemed. Every single one of them. The farthest ones, most disconnect, they too are coming back. But take a look at the chesed and at the kindness of what the Abish has given our generation a leader. And that's why he's the leader. The reason is, it's not enough, he explains, that these Jews will do tshuva because Mashiach tzadkenu's neshama will pull them. That's not enough. Because then they'll always feel that, you know what, we only came back because you pulled me, not because I wanted to come. So take a look at the love of the Abish there. What is God going to do for these Jews? After the initial pull, which they need, because there's chas so stuck in the muck, that they can't get out on their own. So they need a jolt. They need a crane to pull them out. And that's Mashiach's crane. That's going to pull every Jew out. But afterwards, Mashiach is going to let put them back down in the place where they are and help them. When I say Mashiach, I don't mean necessarily Mashiach after he comes. It's part of the process in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Jews were jolted. Something inspired thousands of Jews to do tshuva. There was some kind of a ruach at tshuva that was brought into the world actually through Mashiach Tzadkenu. This is his, his impact on the world. But after that, these Jews also become seeking Jews and from within themselves found their way and the tshuva and came back to Yiddish kind. It's both. It's vahuva el He will be brought forcefully to the kohen. When we say forcefully means through a power that's beyond his and her decision-making, some kind of a, some kind of a power in the universe, some kind of a spiritual power that's impacting the tshuva but then it's going to be so that to heal the person in the very space where that person is, to lower himself down to every single Jew, to elevate the Jew from within their own space so that they can choose it not through an overwhelming force that's outside of them, that's impacting them, but through their own process of appreciation, of realization of what's true and what's real, and that's how they do Jew. Once that happens, you know what happens to the balchuva? You know what happens? That mitzora becomes is a balchuva. Once the mitzora is a balchuva, he stands higher than the tzaddik. And the reason why the balchuva is higher than the tzaddik is because the tzaddik only has light and the balchuva has darkness that was converted to light. And when darkness is converted to light, the brightness of that light is much greater than the light that has always been light who says that? the smartest person of all people Shlomo HaMelech the advantage of light from darkness which simply means after it's dark the light is so beautiful, so delicious but that's only the superficial meaning after the darkness we appreciate the light but there's a much deeper meaning not after the darkness we appreciate the light more but light is so much greater when the light was actually first darkness. When darkness itself is transformed to light, that is the greatest light. And therefore, the Mitzorah is going to be the brightest human being ever. Dafka the Jew that hung out, never came into shul. Not even Yom Kippur. Never going to go to shul. I'm not going. I'm not having anything to do. These Jews are going to shine with a brighter light. Isn't that refreshing to hear that? That's so different that we hear? Amazing. Alla Dei and Baruch Hashem, there's so many. See, four fifths, probably 80% of the Jewish people, are going to be the brightest stars. Because they're going to do tshuva. Do we feel good for them that they can do tshuva? I think, I do. Say, I was not fear. I've been working so hard my whole life. I've been keeping Shabbos and doing that. Yeah, so you're lucky that you're able to keep Shabbos. You're lucky that the Eberster gave you a chance that through the, that you can thank the Eberster for that. Poor guy is suffering in his dark, his or her darkness. You should be very excited that that Jew is going to do tshuva, and they're going to shine with a brighter light than you. Yes, that's, that's great. That's awesome. That's loving every Jew the way we should love a Jew. The truth is, if they would have wished, they would have wished they could have been kept Yiddishkeit all these times. So we're going to have something to be envious of them, and they're going to have something to be envious of us. And that's always good. And we will appreciate each other. And those are going to be the Balchuvus of Mashiach. Metzairah, transforming of darkness to light. However, that kind Now, of, the truth is, this is true about Saras, the concept of Saras, I'm applying it very strongly to the Mashiach. Experience, but it's really, this is the process of a Jew that gets alienated from God in all generations till he gets to the worst point. The process of his healing comes through two stages. Stage number one, the Abishter sends some spiritual power, a, a spiritual vibration, a spiritual... It says that the God calls out every day, Baskel, Shuvu banim shayvavim, my wayward children do tshuva. Those... Those vibrations of God's Bosco reaches the mitzvah and triggers a tshuva. The person is falling. The person is falling into a bottomless pit. He can't stop his or her fall. They're... So the their the Rachmanus sends stretches their, his, 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 his hand out to catch them from their fall and to turn them around, to give them that power. But afterwards, the process is more of a personal... Journey where the person has to take the inspiration that they that, that that turn them around and work their way up because God wants it to be yours. By the way, this can probably answer the question why so many people that did tshuva will 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 in their life had a moment of chuva, especially what we call today the Balik tshuva. And I'm sure all of them will attest to this. There's no question about it. I haven't done tshuva yet, but the yidn that did do tshuva already, so they for sure know this. That what. That that you had these powerful, powerful, a uh, force that's pushing you in your life, but then it disappeared, and you didn't have any more of that influence. But it's not that you didn't have any influence. God has sent you teachers and guidance and books and other ways where you can make that journey more, more on your own, on your own. The beginning, you're pulled. Why are you pulled? Because that's called the Sarusa de Liela. The Abishta loves you so much that God sent his. Powerful, sent you a, 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 or God hugs you, pulls you in with his powerful, with his powerful uh, hug. But then Hashem wants you to do it on your own. So he softly directs inspiration. He directs the Kohen to go outside of the Machneh, to reach the Jew, and to feed the Jew, to nurture the Jew. And that Kohen can come in so many different forms. What it is that's guiding and pulling, and allo- not pulling, but allowing gently, prodding and enabling the person to heal and come back and do truth. However, this idea that the Mitsura, who is the tshuva, will, be, will, will, will will have achieved something that all their sins, imagine this, that darkness itself and that all their sins will become the brightest light what well, we call the sapcha Hashuchal and Ahura, darkness will turn to light, is something that really will only happen in the messianic era. In the days of Mashiach, we will see the most phenomenal thing that darkness itself is converted to light. Before Mashiach comes, we don't have that really manifest in the world. What we do have is we have sometimes that in the place that was once dark, there is light. That too is called transforming darkness to light, is that the darkness went away, and in the place that was once dark, is now occupied with light. That's also showing on an powerful, powerful, powerful light, that it's able to go down so low, even to a space that was once dark. the light is limitless I'll give you an example for that in, in Mitzrayim it says Mitzrayim was such a Pesach is coming Mitzrayim was such a place of defilement it had such tumah such impurity and it was such a thick impurity it says that any that, that the reason the Jews couldn't get out because no one can come heal no one can schlep them out because holiness can't come down there the moment something holy came into Mitzrayim the holy became corrupted you can't send anybody out into that place because it's like you have a teenager that got lost in some club or some or some, some, some 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 disco or whatever, and you're sending another teen to go get him. And then the second teen also got lost in the place. You send the third one. See, they all got schlepped into it. And Mitzrayim was such a dark place that when you're sending someone in to get them, that person themselves gets corrupted. That's why the Torah says, we say it in that that even a Malach couldn't do it. <speaking in Hebrew> the Ebeshter himself had to do it. The infinite light of Hashem. <speaking> in the <Hebrew> Chassidus it says, <speaking in Hebrew> refers to the or Ain Sof, the infinite light. Because anything less than the infinite, even a manifestation of the divine can't work. A spherotic element, an element of the spheros, of the attributes, couldn't do it. Only the Ein Sof can go down to a place of darkness and to, and to pull out the hidden. That means that the Orin Sof is infinite. But when the Jews went out of Egypt, Egypt itself remained unholy. The Jews pulled the sparks out of Egypt. They left Egypt. These very Jews that were once in a dark place, their hearts were filled with, with klippa, now became holy. They had yearning for Hashem, that a desire to go receive the Torah. Wow. So in a place that was once dark, there was now light. But not that the darkness itself transforms to light. Not that the sin itself becomes merit. When is that going to happen? That's going to happen when Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, we're not going to run away from Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is going to become holy. And I've, and I've been speaking about this. If you listen to the Parsha Shemini class. By the way, anybody that's listening tonight, you didn't listen to the Parsha Shemini, I would highly recommend It's called a kosher pig. That class, so there we spoke about it. You're seeing today in the world that the very forces that have caused So much pain and suffering to the Jewish people throughout the ages. The forces of Edom, the forces, have become the greatest allies and the greatest powers that are going to push the Jewish people to the redemption. It's unbelievable what we're seeing. We're seeing what we're witnessing today in the news. We're walking around our business, daily business, as if, you know, life goes on. But it's not life going on. What's happening, it's sad to me, it hurts me deeply that some people don't even see this at all but it's it's the truth we're in the midst of a most unmost magnificent redemption it's happening the miracles the politics that you're reading in the newspapers is the story of the redemption the fact that today the Iranian republican guard that stands ready to decimate israel is the first time in history an entire army that belonging to a a nation was deemed a terrorist organization by the White House. That is miraculous. That has zero that it should have been done 30 years ago, but it hasn't. But now it's happening. And everything else. The Golan Heights was was announced belongs to the Jewish. These are all part of this process of the transformation of the fourth animal that I mentioned then. This is this is darkness turning to light. And what it really means is that now, now, every single one of us can know that all of our sins, all of our dark moments, all of them, can actually, one moment of tshuva, we can turn all that into merit, into the brightest light. It wasn't available in all of history, it's available now. Why? And the answer is, very deep. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe says the answer is, That only when Moshiach will come will we have the revelation of what's called atzmos. Atzmos means the very quintessence of God. To turn darkness itself into light is only BeKoyach ha'atzmos, the power of the essence of Hashem. The revelations of God's light. Hashem's infinite projections and revelations, even if it's Orin Sof, even if it's that great light that revealed itself in Mitzrayim, but if it's not the essence of Hashem, it does not have the power to transform darkness to light. Why? Why is it only in the Abishter himself to transform darkness to light? So he brings from the previous Chabad, Rabbi Rabbi Yitzchak, a very deep teaching. I'm going to do it Very shortly. And he explains like this. Darkness and light are two opposites. To convert one to the other, one is holy, good, light, revelation of Hashem. The other one is concealment of God. So the two have no relationship one to each other. Usually wherever there is darkness, is off limits to light. Kedusha cannot go into darkness. If kedusha goes into darkness... Usually what happens, the darkness grabs the Kedusha, as we spoke earlier, and converts it to darkness. And the darkness becomes even stronger. We mentioned earlier that unless it's an infinite power of light, that it's able to penetrate even into the darkness. And then what's going to happen? The darkness is going to vacate, and the light will take its place. But not that the darkness will convert to light. What does it take to convert darkness to light? Only atmos, only the essence of God. Why? So he says, simple idea. He says, let's trace. Ultimately, everything has to come from Hashem. So all negativity and all evil and all whatever, everything that's like horrible and even garbage in the world, really negative stuff, if we trace them back, 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 how do they exist? They can only exist because God is hiding himself. And then Chassidus, that's called the power of the Ebershter, Tzimtzum. Hashem has a power of Giloy. Hashem has a power to reveal himself. And Hashem has a power of tzimtzum, he conceals himself. So as a result of the Ebershter's tzimtzum, this power of concealment, of contraction, so in the space where God is not, so to speak, or at least imagines itself as God is not in that space, negativity can come in. Where God is, there is no negative. So what's holiness? Holiness is a place that's not so impacted by the tzimtzum. The light of Hashem is flowing into that place. But the places of darkness, they're thriving on the tzimtzum, on the contraction, on Hashem's hiding of Himself. Obviously, they too must have a little bit of light of Hashem, or else they couldn't exist. But the light is so little, and therefore, the klippa is very strong in that vacuum of Hashem, which is in that space of the tzimtzum. That's as long as we are dealing. So if we're measuring, if we're looking at these two elements, light and darkness are opposites. But let's go back to before creation. Before the whole process begins. And all you have is the essence of God. Over there you have two potentials. What's the potential? There is the potential of Hashem to express Himself. And there is also the potential of God to do what? Not to express Himself. Now here's what the the, the Freediger Rebbe says. This is what Hasidus, the brilliance of Hasidus. Hasidus says... If you ask the question, in that level of the divine essence, are these two separate potentials? A potential to reveal and a potential to conceal, to, 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 uh, to, to withhold or to, bring in, to, to hold in? These are not two separate powers. It's one idea. God is a Kol Yochil. The Abish there is a Kol Yochil. Kol Yochil means he's omnipotent, he can do anything. So he can express, or he can hide. But in this level, on this depth, in this essential state, the hiding and the revelation is one entity within Atmos. the fact that he can do whatever he wants. Ah, at this point, light and darkness are the same. There is no two. Only when the abishter's essence will be revealed in the world, which is the Shoresh, Shoresh of Shoresh, the very, very beginning, the root, 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 Sheberut, root, Sheber, root of light and darkness, which on that level, the light and the darkness are no two, aren't two separate things, it's both the Abishter's Hashem's omnipotence to do whatever He wants. So when that is revealed, even that which is a derivative of the concealment, of the Abish's potential to conceal, even if it's a gazillion levels derivative, meaning it comes through stages, Hashem's concealment allowed for this to happen, which allowed for that to happen, which allowed for that to happen. And until you get to an extreme, extreme manifestation of of, of a horror, of something so dark. And then on the other hand, you have... The, revel- the, 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 the worlds of holiness, the revelation of holiness, two opposites. But once their very, very, very essence of everything reveals himself, which is the Abish, Abishter himself, then even the most dark can can switch over to be infinitely bright. And the darkest, darkest life can become the brightest life in a split second. However, the Rebbe says, that's only going to happen when Mashiach comes. That's only going to manifest in the world in the coming of Mashiach. Mashiach, Tzadkenu, is going to bring the essence of God into revelation in this world. And therefore, the Rebbe says like this, In the earlier generations, the concept of Mitzorah, Mitzorah was a dark, as we said earlier, Mitzorah is a dark person. So Mitzorah can't be Torah. Mitzorah and Torah are two opposites. And therefore, since the Mitzorah is not Torah, he's the opposite of Torah. That's why we can't name a Parsha in the Torah Mitzorah, because it's total antithetical to the Torah, a Mitzorah, it rhymes, but it's still a total antithetical entity. You can't make the Mitzorah a Parsha in the Torah, even though the Torah talks about the Mitzorah, but you can't make them a Parsha in the Torah. So what do you talk? What do you say? You say, it will be. And that's it. And by that, you're saying two things. First of all, you're avoiding mentioning the Mitzorah, but you're also saying, I know, I know, I have confidence. I know a day will come. I'm looking at this dark, dark human being that had to be kicked out of all the machness and I go deep in my soul. One day, one day, one day, one day, the divine light will shine even from this being. Now I can't fathom it. So therefore I say so it will be. And the Rebbe says, But in the last generations, as we're getting ready, ready, pretty close to Mashiach, pretty close to Mashiach meant already from the days of the Bess Yosef. Four or five hundred years ago. The light of Mashiach, the work of Torah and mitzvahs has already so purified the world. The lights of Mashiach are beginning to shine through the cracks. <speaking in Hebrew> Mashiach is standing behind the wall. <speaking in Hebrew> He's peeking through the cracks. <speaking in Hebrew> He's looking through the windows. So then the Yidin in their super, in their subconscious, in their superconscious started sensing already that the mitzorah himself could be Torah that one day the darkest of the darkest jew is going to shine with such a light which is only the power of mashiach so suddenly this unbelievable thing changed in the writings of of the of of Torah scholars they themselves didn't know this but for some reason they switched and started referring to the mit, the parsha of mitzorah as mitzorah because we can sense already, because now the Mitsorah could be already a parsha in the Torah. Because the power to convert the Mitsorah into a parsha in the Torah is already sensed, which is which is the power of God's essence expressed in Moshiach, and when Moshiach comes to the world, and that's the idea of the parsha of mitzvah. Now. If this was since 500 years ago, how much more so when we look at a Jew today? First of all, we should never look at any Jew as a mitzvah because we never know what their, what their merits are. We never know. We should never think of ourselves ever better than anybody to say, I'm from the 20%. I'm probably from the first 3%. That person, if he's lucky, probably from the 80%. We should never, ever say that. Not only that, we should realize that the Jews that are the farthest are going to be the brightest. Why am I saying that? Because that's the emes. But that's the emes that we can only perceive through looking through the lens, through Mashiach's glasses, through the lens of the students of the Balshent, of, of the Balshent, the students of the Balshent, those who carried the light of Mashiach and taught us how to look at a Jew with awe and respect. To realize that the brightest parsha of all parshiyos is parsha's mitzora, and that we don't have to be ashamed, we can call mitzora mitsura. because mitzora is the highest and brightest parsha in the Torah. May God merit, may Hashem allow us to see that revelation now, now, and now. <laughs>